Okay, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. May he add its eternal blessings to its reading and proclamation. Let's pray together. Almighty God, as we approach you in your word, we pray that you would teach us by your spirit, guide us into your truth by your spirit, that we might be built up as this local church together in the gifts that you have given to the church, these foundational gifts, these foundational gifts that that are just so vital and essential. Father, I pray that, that you would help us to be grounded on the word of God, built up in the word of God for the glory of your name and for the advance of your kingdom. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this past week, uh, England and the entire Commonwealth have been celebrating the Platinum Jubilee of Queen Elizabeth II. So 70 years she has been the monarch over England and the whole Commonwealth, longer than any English monarch ever. And the celebrations in England were really centered around Westminster Abbey, where, where she was where her coronation took place 70 years ago. But there's another famous church in England that is celebrating the Jubilee. In fact, all the, the churches of England are, are celebrating the Jubilee. But this church is perhaps second only to Westminster Abbey in its place in English history. Speaking of Winchester Cathedral, it was built on the site where the first English monarch was baptized in and was in the year 16. 135. That's 635. No one in front of it. So 1,400 years ago. The current building of Winchester Cathedral was, was completed in 1093. 1093, a thousand years ago. It was reformed and became a Church of England cathedral under King Henry VIII in the 1530s. But it's a little known fact that at the beginning of the 20th century, Winchester Cathedral was in grave danger of collapsing. 
Wide cracks had begun to appear in the cathedral's walls and the high ceilings. Large chunks of, of stone and concrete had begun to fall down, posing a great threat to those who congregated in the building. You see, the cathedral had built, been built on a, on a floodplain of a river. On, and over the top of it was compressed peat, so like peat moss. The original builders had, had tried to, to shore, shore it up with logs, but, but as you can imagine, the logs began to rot, undermining the foundation. And engineers who were brought in who tried to, to dig narrow trenches around the walls, but because of the, the high water table, as soon as they dug a trench, the trench would fill with water. And so they weren't able to actually shore up the walls. Enter William Walker, a commercial diver, formerly of the Royal Navy. So this is in the year 1906. With, with a dry suit and brass helmet and lead-soled boots, he descended into the water underneath the cathedral. Now, this is particularly of interest to me because I, I used to wear that, that, same, um, that same suit when I, went, when I dove at, at SeaWorld in Australia. But for five and a half years, from 1906 until 1911, he worked, for, he worked eight hours a day, five days a week, six hours a day underwater in the pitch darkness. And so during the time he carted out tons and tons of, of rotten wood and peat and muck and then relaid the foundation of the cathedral with 900,000 bricks, 114,000 concrete bricks. So concrete, sorry, yeah, concrete bricks, that's the larger bricks, and 25,800 bags of cement. And we did all of that under the cathedral. And, and so he, he, he saved, in a sense, Winchester Cathedral. And so there, there's a statue of, of William Walker uh, outside the cathedral commemorating his work to save the cathedral. But Winchester Cathedral is now revealing cracks not in its physical foundation, but in its spiritual foundation. Its spiritual foundation. And these are, are cracks that no diver can repair. The leadership of the cathedral is clearly progressive and ecumenical in its views. The, the dean, a, a woman, is, is pro-LGBT. She has clear sympathies with the feminist movements and liberation movements. Now, this is deeply concerning. It's, it's not really surprising, given that the spiritual state and the theological state of, the Angli of much of the Anglican church but what, what's really happening is that, that in welcoming these, these different interpretations of Scripture, these, these feminist and liberation theology interpretations of Scripture, she's really being open to, to all kinds of meaning. She's saying that, that the understanding of Scripture is now not in its Holy Spirit-inspired authorial intent, but whatever the reader brings. So you could, you could have this, and this is postmodernism, you, you could have 20 different people reading the same text of Scripture and have 20 different interpretations, and according to this woman's views, every interpretation is perfectly valid. And, and what she has done is completely undermined the foundation, the spiritual foundation. Now we need to understand that, that, that 
the, the, the understanding of the inspiration and the inerrancy and the authority and the clarity and the sufficiency of Scripture is vitally important. It is the foundation of the church. And not just of any one specific church, it is the foundation for the whole church of Jesus Christ, for everything that is truly the church. And to drift away from that even one iota is to undermine the foundation. Well, this morning we're continuing our study of the spiritual gifts. And so this morning we're going to begin a look at the foundational gifts as we continue to look at Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. So this morning, just by way of introduction, before we're going to talk about the, these foundational gifts, they're there in first in, sorry, in Ephesians 4, 11, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. These are five you could also look at this for, we'll talk about that later. They're, they're offices of the church and they, they form the foundation of the church. They form the foundation of the church. Christ in his authority as head and Lord of the church ascended to heaven as a conquering king and gave gifts to the church. And these foundational gifts, these offices, are formed, they, they form the basis of, for the church. I'm not talking about the physical building, but for the spiritual foundation of the entire church of Jesus Christ. So he gave these gifts to the church as, as offices for its foundation at its formation. Now, for the past couple of weeks, I've, I've sought to, to lay a foundation in our understanding. But you need to understand, as I said, that you need to understand what the gifts are for before we can understand what the gifts are and, and specifically what your gifts are. J.I. Packer provides a good working definition of spiritual gifts. He says, a spiritual gift is an ability divinely bestowed and sustained to grasp and express the realities of the spiritual world and the knowledge of God in Christ for the edifying both of others and of, one, and of oneself. So to my count, there's, there's about 19 spiritual gifts. There's some overlap. In them, but there's about 19 spiritual gifts. We've all been given gifts. If you're a Christian, you've been given spiritual gifts for the building up of the church. As I said in my first, in my first sermon on this, that, that to, be a, to be a Christian is to be charismatic, not in the way that it is misinterpreted by so-called charismatic churches today, because charismatic, just, it means gift means gift. So if you are a Christian, you are charismatic in the true sense of the word. We'll talk more about this in the coming weeks. But these, these gifts, these spiritual gifts, are not your gifts. They don't belong to you. We're not entering onto a quest for you for personal fulfillment so that you can find your spiritual gift. The gifts don't belong to you. They belong to the church. They are God's gifts in Christ to the church. They're God's gifts to the church for the edification of the church. And to put a spin on the three musketeers' motto, as I said last week, one for all, all for one. The three musketeers said one for all, said uh, all for one, one for all. But we'll say one for all, all for one. The one triune God for all the church, and all the church for the one triune God. 
As I also explained last week, you must walk in the fruit of the Spirit before you can begin to exercise the gifts of the Spirit. So that, verse 16, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So that it builds itself up in love. Now, of course, there's a lot more that can be said, but but that's really the, the foundation that I want to focus on. Okay, but, but so now we're going to begin a look at the foundational gifts. Again, there are five offices in verse 11, five foundational gifts given by Christ, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Okay, now three of these gifts are also listed as foundational in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. And the other gifts come after, they follow on from that. So what do I mean when I say that these gifts are foundational gifts? That they're foundational gifts. Well, let's turn back a couple of chapters to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. Let me read it. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Listen carefully, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. It's another way of saying that the church is built on the Bible. The church is built on the Bible. The, the apostles and the prophets together form their euphemism that, that means the word of God. Okay, the, focusing on the, the Old Testament, the, the prophets wrote the word of God and the, the apostles in the New Testament who were also prophets in a sense, we'll talk about this next week, they, they wrote the word of God. This is the foundation with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now, it, it helps being married to an architect because she, she can help me with some of these illustrations. We talked about, about the, the cornerstone. Like we talked about this before. The cornerstone is, the, is really the most important stone. You're building a stone building. The, the cornerstone is the most important. Okay, nowadays when you build homes, they, do, um, they, 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 do, they pour footings and what, with, with concrete. But when they built, when they built buildings out of stone, the, the cornerstone was the most important piece. Okay, if you think about it, you can even see this today. When you, when you, when they, when you watch a, a, a tall building being built, Right, you, you notice that they spend the vast majority of their time laying the foundation. Right, you think about the the, the building where the um, the school district used to be. That they were they were doing the foundation for like what, like over a year. But now that the foundation is laid, the rest of the building is going to be erected very quickly because the foundation is laid. But again, the most important piece, especially in a, talking about a stone building, is the cornerstone because the cornerstone sets the the location and sets the the the, the found it's the sets the, the direction of the foundation and so the foundation is solid and they know exactly where the building is go and what its dimensions are going to be the cornerstone Christ Jesus is the cornerstone and the apostles and the prophets go out from Christ Jesus and the building comes up from there that's the foundation that's why these are the foundational gifts the foundational gifts these five offices, Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are all grounded on the Word of God. They're grounded on the Word of God. They are, are sometimes referred to as speaking gifts. Speaking gifts. Now, 
The other main category of gifts is, is serving gifts, but, but we understand that all of the gifts are serving gifts. Right? All the gifts are serving gifts, but the distinction here is saying mainly that, that the service is in words, and most importantly, the word, the word of God, whereas the, the other gifts, the, the so-called serving gifts, involve practical service, more, more practical service, like, like helping and, and healing, things like that. But before we, we look at each gift, again, we need to understand what the gifts are for. Right? Before we, we drill down into what each of the individual gifts are, we need to understand yet again what the gifts are for. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Okay, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. F.F. Bruce puts it like this. These, these office bearers exercise their ministries in such a way as to help other members of the church exercise their own respective ministries. Okay? I've said this many times, but your pastors, we're not really the, the, the ministers of the church. You are the ministers of the church. We are assistant ministers. Our job is to help you to do your ministry. Our job is, is to equip you to do your ministry. Now, of course, we're part of the body, and so we, we minister as well. But our primary function is to help you to minister. To help you to minister. That, that's true for each of the gifts or, or the offices, as we'll see. And it's for the building up of the body of Christ. Right? That's, we, we use the word edification. Right? Edification means, it means building up. Okay, we're, we're building up the church in the power of the Holy Spirit until verse 13, until we all attain the unity of the faith. Until we all attain the unity of the faith. So where does our unity come from? You know, think about what the gifts are. These, these are. these are word gifts. Our unity is in the word. Our unity is, is not... In, in our particular demographic. We talked about this last week. Our, our unity is not coming from a homogeneous cultural background or particular social strata. Our unity comes from the Word of God. And, and I praise God that this church is becoming more diverse culturally. As the Lord is building His church, as people from, from different cultures, different backgrounds are, are coming together to celebrate and to, to be joined together and guided by, directed by the Word of God. The Word of God is the basis of our unity. And so it's unity in the Word. This is unity in doctrine. Now we can have levels of unity with those who have some different views on, on doctrinal issues. I was talking to somebody about this the other day. We, we talk about theological triage. So the, the, the most the primary issues are those issues that determine whether somebody's a Christian or not. And so we cannot have any Christian unity with those who would deny the, the, the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. We can, we can have friendship and, and we can spend time together with these people, but it is not Christian unity unless they have a unity in the faith, in the word of God. Okay, then there's a secondary issues which would, would still say we can have Christian fellowship, but, but we form as a church, we form... Around So, for example, we're a Baptist church. We believe that Baptist, the scriptures teach that baptism is for believers, for those who are 
already Christians. And so we're a Baptist church. We, we have fellowship, Christian fellowship with others who believe in, in infant baptism, but we gather together in this local church as those who believe in believer's baptism. And then the third level is, is the tertiary things. We have, now we, st- well, we still have unity, but there's a difference of, of opinion on things like end times, about how that's all going to work out, or, or musical taste and things like that. We can have a, a difference in, the, in, in one local church. We can, have, we can have unity in one church, a discussion, healthy debate even over these things, but, but they don't affect our unity in the church. I don't know about you, but that's very, a very helpful way for me to think about it. Primary, secondary, and tertiary. So but we have this unity of the faith, primarily with all the church, the, the universal church, with all who are in Christ and believe who Christ is, and what he came to do, and the nature of the word of God, and so on. And this, this unity is in, again, the knowledge of the Son of God, which, again, is, comes from the Word. Right? This is from the Word of God. And so these, these five office bearers teach about Jesus. Right? They, they teach in their, in their words the Word of God about who Jesus is and what he came to do. And so this, as we focus on, on, on who Jesus is, as he is revealed in Scripture, we are built up in our unity in the knowledge of the Son. As we have, we have personal knowledge and as we reflect that in the way that we live our lives, it's also an exemplary, um, so it's, it's not solely in the Word, but because of the Word, our lives are different, and so we, are, we have this, this knowledge of the Son, we show it in the way we live our lives. And we, we preach the gospel, primarily through words, but also in our actions. Until we reach mature manhood. Okay, now this is a gender-neutral term, manhood or womanhood. Maturity, mature adulthood. Again, it comes from the word. Okay, so this maturity comes from as you you are transformed in the renewing of your minds by the word of God, Romans 12.2, you grow in maturity, in spiritual maturity. So as you grow in understanding, as a Christian, your life will change. And you will grow in the reflection of Christ. Again, not to perfection, but in the life of the Christian, you are gradually, but inexorably, going to be made more like Christ because you are, you are predestined not just for salvation, but for sanctification. So all who are truly Christians will grow in spiritual maturity through the word of God. Again, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Again, this is, you grow more like Christ, not in perfection, never reaching his perfect standard, but you grow in that direction. And you know, I see that happening in so many of you. You know, the, the, as, I, as, I, as I walk with you and talk with you and and meet with you, have coffee with you. I'm, I'm seeing so many of you growing in this. Gr- growing in the unity of the faith. Growing in the knowledge of the Son. Growing into mature adulthood. Growing in the, the measure, the stature, of the fullness of Christ. Overcoming sin that, that is once you've been once enslaved to. Growing in, in your understanding of, of how God would have you walk in the world. And how that, that makes you different as as a, a husband, as a wife, as a, as a parent, as an employee, as a friend, as a neighbor, because of the work of Christ in your life through the word of God. Okay, and, and, and God is doing this through the spirit in the gifts that he has given to the church. Okay, in these, these five specific 
offices. Now, we'll talk about this more next week about which ones still continue in their, in their original function and which ones have, have been um, have been fully where the foundation is laid. We don't go back to lay another foundation, but we'll talk about that more next week. Verse 14 describes what it would look like, what it does look like when this isn't happening. Right? When, when the church is doing the opposite, when the church is, it does not have unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, is not mature and is not growing in the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And you can see this. And I've, I've been part of, of, of churches in the past that, where this was, was not happening. And many of you have as well. Where the opposite is really taking place. And it grieves me so deeply when I, I talk to people, professing Christians, who, who say that, they, that they're truly Christians and that they've been, been part of a church, but they haven't really been taught the Word of God. They've not really been, been taught the whole counsel of God's Word. And so it's, it's like, it's, it's scattered and it's, 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 it's really emphasizing things that the Scripture doesn't emphasize and ignoring things that the Scripture does emphasize. Now again, I'm not saying this to, to judge anybody. I'm just saying that you can really tell when there's been an emphasis on the Word of God and when there hasn't. People are tossed to and fro, Paul says, like, like waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in dis- deceitful schemes. And so people are following the latest trends, latest spiritual trends. I've been a pastor here now, now 12 years, and I've seen, I've, we're into our third major trend in the city since I've been here. So the first, the first trend was a seeker-sensitive gospel. And these churches were now grabbing hold. You could build a church with, by being seeker-sensitive. Right? And, and then that faded because it didn't work. And then it went emergent, you know, which is tied to, to postmodernism. We've got to be emergent. We've got to be relevant. We've got we to gotta try to, to, to fit the word of God to try to fit every whim of culture. And that didn't work because that faded. And now we're, we're living in a, in a culture that's dominated by the, the so-called New Apostolic Reformation, right? With this, which, is, which is really the, the, the prosperity gospel on steroids. Okay, so this, this so-called New Apostolic Reformation, which I guess I'm tipping my hat is what I think about apostles and whether they exist today, but, but these, 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 uh, these New Apostolic Reformation churches are, are driving into all these false teachings, wacky heresies. Lying to people about them, about the saying that God wants you to be rich. God wants you to be successful in a worldly sense. This is the opposite of what Scripture teaches. The Bible teaches you should flee from people who teach this sort of thing. But most of the churches in the city are embracing it to one degree or another. Some of them hook, line, and sinker. Another one, this, is, this has really become popular even just in the last two years. Is, is wokeness. Wokeness. You know the term woke? Like said, you've got to wake up to this, this intrinsic um, cultural oppression that, that has been dominating our culture since its, since its inception. And this is like the social gospel on steroids. Okay, that, that it, it's twisted. It's made the gospel something it's not. These, these, the so-called prosperity gospel or social gospel, they aren't actual gospels. The gospel doesn't need an adjective. The gospel is the gospel. Anytime you add to the gospel, you take away from the gospel. 
If anything, you, you, if you take it away from the gospel, it's a false gospel. It's a false gospel. And those who have been truly trained and taught in the word of God can identify counterfeits. That this is what real discernment is. This is, this is really talking about this. This is the real gift of discernment comes from not having a whim to say, oh, that person's this or that person's that. It comes from knowing the word of God. It comes from knowing the word of God. So again, these are people who, contrary to, to being tossed around, they're grounded on the foundation of the word of God. And so through the ministry of the word, we, we put off immaturity, we put off selfishness, we put off divisiveness, we put on maturity, service, and unity. Again, far from perfection. I can attest to that personally in my own life. I'm sure you can as well. But we are growing in these things through the power of the Holy Spirit, seeking God's forgiveness when we become aware of our sin, confessing it to God and to one another, walking in repentance and faith, bearing fruit in keeping with repentance, and growing. We're growing. You know, my daughter is, is adorable. And, and she's... Both my daughters are adorable. My, all my, all, I think all kids are cute, as, as the, we t- I testified in the ladies' um, question at, the, uh, at the, the baby shower. But, but my, my daughter's cute, but I, I don't want her to stay as a little baby. I want her to grow up. I want her to grow up. I, I, God wants the church to grow up. And he does that through the word of God. So I, I hope you can see the direction that we're going here. That Jesus gave you gifts. Okay, Jesus gave officers, he gave leaders to the church to help you to identify and to use your gifts. So, so in, instead of, of what we used to be like, Paul now describes what the church should look like. Jesus is, is now building his church and he does it through you. So Jesus gave you to the church. He gave you to the church, verses 15 and 16. You know, when I was in, in high school and, and we saw somebody strutting around in their pride, you know, we, we'd say, you think you're God's gift. I don't know if kids still say that. You think you're God's gift. But brothers and sisters, you are God's gift. You really are God's gift. You're God's gift to the church. Again, it's, it's through the word. It's speaking the truth in love. You need both. Right? It's, it's speaking the truth, but it's speaking the truth in love. Now, I've talked about this before, but, but it's, it's easy to fall on one side or another, to be, to be imbalanced. Right? And this to be more, more truth-oriented or, or being more love-oriented. We really need both. Now, I've talked about this before, but, but you know, for the first years of, of, and I check with Janie to make sure it's okay if I, if I share this, but, but she's, they all know anyway. But it's, it's the first, Jane and I basically had the same disagreement over and over and over again when we first got married. Okay, is that I would say, you're, well, she would say, you're too truth-oriented. I would say, you're too love-oriented. Right? And, and so I was, I was trying to, like, no, it's the word of God. It doesn't matter. How you say it, it just smack them between the eyes with the truth. And then Jane was a little more delicate and maybe didn't quite get to the truth like I thought she should. But I had, I talked about this at Wednesday night at our, at our care group, but I said that my, my very dear friend and brother in the Lord, 
he was was best man in our wedding and, and did our pre-engagement and premarital counseling. And I, I talked to him about some of this. He said, John, if, if you don't listen to your wife on these things, you're a fool. He said it lovingly. He said, you're a fool. Because God has given your wife to you as a gift from God. And so she provides for you a balance, an area in your weakness. And I, I think, speaking by God's grace humbly, that I provided a balance for her as well. And, and she would say now, by God's grace, I'm not, I've not arrived. But I've grown in this. And I think, in part, I think in our church, if we're going to fall in one ditch or the other, I think maybe we, we, it's, it's, we've grown in this too as a church, but the tendency is maybe at times to be more truth-oriented or our perception of truth and not balancing it with love. And I, again, I think we've grown in this, but, but this is an area that, that, that we all need to be, be working on. Okay, so we really... Love without truth is not real love. And truth without love certainly is not loving. Proverbs 25, 11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. So it's not just the right word, but love knows how to speak the right word at the right time. And it really is not about, it's not about how, how you want to be handled. It's thinking about how the other person wants to be handled. That's really the golden rule. Treat other people the way the way you want to be treated is really everyone wants to be treated the way the the way that they that's best for them. That's not one size fits all. So so praying for wisdom and, and timing before bringing something to somebody's attention. But as we grow, we help the body to grow in love. Right? As we grow, we help the body to grow. Together, we grow into the head, into Christ. So again, this is, this is the, the all-for-one part. This is every part of the church working together for the one true God. We're all together growing into the head who's Christ. He is at a church. We don't have a pope. There, there's no Christian pope. Christ is the head of the church. And so get, together through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're growing together into the head, into Christ. This is corporate. It's not, it's not individualistic. It's corporate. It's, again, it's not your gifts. They're for the body. So the whole church grows into the head so that every part, every joint is already equipped, is working properly so that it makes the body grow in love. So now as, as we, we bring this home, as we, we think about this specifically in, in, in a little more about our context and for you and me to think about specifically about how this applies to us, because there's a, a word that, that, that God has for all of us here and areas we need to grow. Then ask the question, are, are you content to let other people do the work? I mean, it's, it's sort of a, a truism that's often that, that 20% of the church does 80% of the work. You know, are you content? Are you, when you show up on a Sunday, does you give any thought for what happens in preparation for the service or, or what takes place afterwards? Or are you content to, to show up and then go home? And I have to say that I, I really, I don't know what the percentages are, but, but this is not one of those churches where 20% is doing 80% of the work. There's a, there's a lot of people working hard here in the church, and I praise God for that. When you think about, you know, we're in the, in the, about to enter into the, the, the finals, and some of us have teams that are still there. Some of us didn't even make the playoffs. But, but, but if, if in a hockey team, if, 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 you, if, if one part, if one member, just one of the, the players on the team, you know, or the, the coach or the trainer says, I'm not doing my job anymore. If the, if the goalie says, I, I'm, 
I'm sick of this. I've got way too many shots. I'm out of here. I'm leaving. They're done. The game's over. Right? Or any one of the players, the defenseman says, you know what? I, I want to be a forward now. I like they get to score the goals. I want to, I want to get up there. I want to, and leaves a big hole in the defensive coverage, and, and then they just walk, the other team walks in and scores. Right? We, we, we're part of a team. There, there, there are no bench warmers in the church. We all need to seek to understand what the gifts are, to seek to grow in, in our understanding and our, our walking in the spiritual gifts so we're able, by God's grace, to exercise the, the gifts, the, 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 sorry, to know and understand the fruits so we can walk in the gifts that God has given us. Okay? But, but when you're serving, there's, 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 there's one ditch that says, I'm not, I'm not serving. Whether consciously or unconsciously, you don't serve. That's, that's one ditch. But it's, it's also easy, and perhaps in some ways easier, to serve, but to serve sinfully. Okay, to do tons of work. But to serve sinfully, to serve selfishly for your own self-aggrandizement. For you, for you to get pats on the back. People to say, wow, you're awesome. You know, I think that that's, it's equally, if not, if not at times easier to do. To serve for your, your own glory or for self-fulfillment or, or self-anything. The, the test of, of true loving service one of the tests of true loving service is when others don't serve in the way you think they should. Right? If, if you see somebody else and, and, and they don't serve in the way that you think is, is valuable and important, how do you respond? Do, do you judge them? Do you complain in your heart against them? Do you criticize them? In, in either privately or, or in front of others? We need to be very careful. Again, it's... it's Again, like speaking the truth in love, we need to be balanced. We need to serve. We need to serve that comes from a right heart. A heart that's really focused on the glory of God. But we, we need each other. The church needs each other. We've been placed here, like, like we said to the kids, like the parts of a puzzle. We've been placed here together to serve God together. We've been sovereignly placed by the sovereign God in this particular church at this particular time to help build the church. As John Calvin wrote, no member of the body is endowed with such perfection as to be able without some assistance of others to supply his own necessities. You need the church and the church needs you. So then next week, we're going we're gonna to actually begin to look specifically at those five foundational gifts, those offices that I, that I spoke about. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But again, as we go from here, remember, you are Christ's gift to the church. And specifically, if this is your local church, this is your church family, you are Christ's gift to this particular church. And so ask yourself what you're doing to help build the church. Again, there's many opportunities to, to, to serve. Maybe there's people who pray. There's people who, who pray regularly on, on the time the men come together on Saturday mornings and and. Um, and, and through the week and, and during, at, the, at the care groups and, and before the service, people praying and, and serving and cooking, cleaning, music ministry, and people being encouraged and exhorted, being really being built up in love. And so again, this church is, is growing these things and I'm, I'm very encouraged. But I, I praise God for his work in the church. 
But do not be content to sit at the level that we are currently at. Don't be content with the status quo. Remember Jesus' command in John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This, this new commandment wasn't, wasn't the command to love. That, that's, that's actually, it goes back to the beginning. That, that, that command is, is an Old Testament command. It goes back to, to the Pentateuch. The, the newness is as I have loved you, Jesus says. That's the new part of the command. To, to show the requirement is to love like Jesus loved. And nobody has yet loved to the level that Jesus loved as he gave up his life for his bride, the church. We've loved in part. We've sought to grow in love. May God help us to continue to grow in love so the church builds itself up in love. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we praise you for the gifts that you have given us. And Lord, as we seek to grow in our understanding of of what the gifts are for, and Lord, what, what the gifts are and what our gifts are, may you work in us by your Spirit. May you guide us into your truth. May you help us, empower us, equip us, and motivate us to serve for your glory and for the building of your church. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the only Lord and Savior. Amen.